all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Good morning. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. Does your child sound like an instrument in an orchestra when they breathe? Do they often complain about having a hard time catching their breath? Well, someone... Do they have to wheeze to have asthma? We'll be talking about asthma this morning on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens with our special guest, Dr. Stephen LeBlanc. And as usual, we'll be taking your questions and comments. So you can reach us live this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to kids at MPB online this morning. Well, I hope everybody is having a great morning this morning. Man, it feels like fall. Tomorrow it'll probably feel like summer, but that's okay. Um, you know, lots of leaves uh, changing. In fact, I was pulling in the parking lot and saw somebody uh, out there uh, taking pictures all over the place. On the, yeah, it actually is a beautiful campus just to drive around uh, MPB. Uh, there's lots of different trees out there to um, to look at, and uh, they do a good job of, uh, of keeping all that up. So i got a great guest with me this morning, Dr. Stephen LeBlanc. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Stephen is a uh, about to be finished. He can see the light at the end of his training. I've uh, known Stephen for a long time, but uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, sort of where your trajectory is going for your career. Yeah, sure. So I've done uh, all of my training here at the University in Jackson. So I did, went to medical school here, stayed here for residency. I did internal medicine, so allergy is sort of unique. Allergy, asthma, and immunology is unique in that. You can enter into it from either the adult or ped side, and so I did adult. And then uh, I did fellowship here. I'm currently in my second year, last year, fellowship for allergy and asthma. My plan is to stay on faculty at UMC, so do some teaching as well as patient care. I had a patient one time, I think it was when I was uh, I was in inpatient service in the children's hospital, and I kept talking about the fellows, and, uh, you know, they pulled me, the, the mom pulled me aside and said, you know, that's sort of derogatory. Are there any, you know, the, are they all guys that you're talking about? I'm like, no, 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 that's that's the name of it. So uh, fellowship is the name that's been given to training, additional training in a medical specialty after you do a residency. So it's medical school, and that's usually a four-year, depending on, you know, what route you go. But most of them in the U.S. are four years followed by additional training in a, in a specialty area uh, like internal medicine or pediatrics. And then uh, after that, you go into allergy or uh, whatever fellowship. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to go into fellowship. But a lot of people do just to specialize in that area. And, um, you know, as, as Dr. LeBlanc mentioned, uh, allergy is one of those that's, that's sort of special that they have different people. There's different pathways to get there. But really, you have training with kids and adults for allergic conditions, right? Right. And I think we're unique in most of the fellowships off of internal <coughs> medicine or pediatrics. I think maybe genetics is about the only one I can think mm-hmm. of where you see both adults right. and kids. And that was one of the things that actually drew me to it was the idea that I get to see and treat kids again. Uh, you actually don't know this, I don't think, but I actually strongly considered med peds. Ha! 
<laughs> and so that was one of the main reasons I, I chose to do allergy and immunology is to about 50% of your patients are kids and 50% adults. Yeah. It gives you a nice range. And uh, I tell you what, I so, you know, I, in, in every, I think most everybody that listens knows I, I take care of adults and, and kids in primary care situations. And, um, it is incredibly rewarding. I love my adult patients, but it is nice when those kids come to see you, even if they're sick most of the time. Uh, there's just something special about seeing kids and seeing their face light up when they come in the room. And um, they get they get well most of the time incredibly quick. Mm, absolutely. And, uh, you know, they don't uh, they haven't been around long enough uh, for different things to stop working. And uh, unfortunately, that happens to all of us. But uh, most of the time with kids, it's really a joy seeing them and playing around with them. I'm just a big kid. Let's I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, I'll, I'll own up to that. So we're talking about asthma this morning, and in Mississippi, that's a big deal. We have a lot of asthma in the state. Uh, You know, proportionally, if you look at other states in the area and nationally, we have a little bit more just because of what we've got going on. Uh, All those allergic and what we call atopic diseases tend to be a little bit higher in the south. And Jackson has the dubious distinction for the asthma, the the most asthma, well, the most allergies Mm -hmm. in the the nation. Is that right? Yes, we've been in the top five most years and then we've been number one several times i think most recently we were number one or two see so we can be number one in some things unfortunately it's the wrong thing um and is that just because of what we have growing around us and the conditions several factors one yes we have a lot of uh uh, flora here so a lot of pollen Uh, our pollen counts are generally very high and the types of pollen that we have are uh, the more likely to cause allergy. But they also factor in a lot of other things, uh, such as number of um, doctors, such as allergists. And so our state, like most medical professions and subspecialties, is underserved with allergies, so that factors in as well. I don't know any family that doesn't have at least somebody that suffers from allergies. And actually, it's rare, I think, to find somebody who never has had any allergies. Yeah, so it's, if you look at all comers, all atopy, which is just a fancy word for allergy, it's close to a third of the population. So wow, a lot. that's a lot. That's a lot. And and people, uh, you know, arriving here from other places, uh, mm-hmm. it takes them a while to build that up, but they yeah. can develop that too, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you if you were here, even as a child, move away for a period of time and come back, you can have more symptoms. Yeah. It's uh, just the body's immune system on overload. So what about asthma? So when we talk about asthma, uh, you know, a lot of people say that they have asthma. I think there's a lot of, of uh of questions that that families have about it. So what is asthma? What does that mean when a a patient has asthma? So I think in the simplest terms, asthma is what we would call reversible airway obstruction. So you have your airways that feed into your lungs. So they take oxygen, air from the outside, bring it in. And we have most of the airways, until you get to the lower part, have muscles surrounding them. And you can have two types of inflammation and asthma. And um, you have these muscles can constrict. And we don't have control over them like a lot of muscles in our body and so different things the most common thing that triggers asthma is viruses and so viruses strong smells cigarette smoke um, chemical smells all those things can make those muscles constrict so patients with asthma don't have much trouble getting air in usually until it gets severe but they have trouble getting it out and so that that narrowing of that tube is what causes the classic wheeze or that whistle sound with asthma and sometimes they'll actually even tell you that if they're old enough to do that, they'll say, you know, it feels like I can't get the air out. Yes. And that's a common question we'll ask to try and tease out. Is this asthma? Because uh-huh. as you know, all that wheezes is not asthma. Right. Right. Uh, certainly, particularly with younger kids, we see mm-hmm. this when they come in, you know, two months of age uh, and younger. 
um, you know, babies make all kinds of noise. And I like to tell people, if you'll think about the respiratory tract like a woodwind instrument, uh, and as air goes across that, if you have a narrowing, you know, just like you can whistle or a lot of people can whistle, um, the same thing happens with an airway sometimes. And the other thing to keep in mind is babies' uh, airways when they're born, they're a little bit more floppy mm-hmm. uh, just because they don't have the trachea. That's the the hard substance that's uh, it's sort of flexible, but it's a little bit stiffer that helps hold that main windpipe open in some of the lower uh, windpipes when they divide. Um, it's just not as developed at that younger age. So they can make all kinds of noises. They can snore loudly. They can you know do all kinds of crazy little sounds. Uh, even if you're trained at, at, to, at that, you know, uh, both of us have kids. When my kids were younger, I can remember when my firstborn was uh, was was born. I would just sit by yes. his bedside and just watch him breathe. Absolutely, we we had him. We had our first child, our daughter, in our room. You know, for the first six weeks or so, and she would. I just thought she was choking over there and yeah. aspirating all night <laughs> with these noises. I would reposition his head all the time. So, but that's right. A lot of times, wheezing doesn't go along with asthma, and sometimes the other symptoms that you can have with asthma. You know, some people have uh, different symptoms, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. So the the classic questions we ask are besides wheezing is coughing, shortness of breath, chest tightness. So especially, I'd say, uh, in older kids and adults, chest tightness becomes more common. They can actually describe the squeezing sensation around Mm -hmm. their chest. And that's that they're describing. They they can get the air in, but they can't get it out. So they start trapping air. Are there some types of asthma that present a little bit differently? Like I know there's there's exercise-induced asthma, and uh, that won't be the classic symptoms uh, but it has a pattern to it, right? Yes. Uh, so exercise-induced uh, bronchospasm is what it's generally called now, is these patients really only wheeze or have this any symptoms when they exercise, usually about 10 minutes after exercising. They start noticing some trouble breathing or wheezing. Um, and that's just weird. Why is it just with exercise? Well, so there's two theories. So we used to think that it's a completely different uh, entity altogether, and you treated it different. For a long time, you've probably heard you give them albuterol or bronchodilator before they exercise. And we still do that in some patients, but if they're having it frequently every time and using that albuterol more than twice a week, we'll treat it like asthma now. So there's now a thought that these are actually patients with asthma. They're just thresholds lower, and mm. so they're not really triggering it until they exercise. And so we'll now, we're, we're a little more uh, lenient, and we'll treat them as asthma with steroids, or oh, inhaled steroids. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and we're talking about asthma this morning with our special guest, Dr. Stephen LeBlanc. You can reach us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion about asthma and have plenty of time to hear your questions. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 
Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and I've got my special guest, Dr. Stephen LeBlanc, with me this morning. We're talking about asthma. We'd love to hear your questions about asthma. Maybe you're unsure. Maybe your child has some of the symptoms that we're talking about, and you just want to know more what direction to go in to see if something is really uh, asthma or not. Or maybe uh, maybe you've got some other uh, allergy-type questions. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 Or send an email to kids at mpbonline.org. Speaking of emails, I've got one right here. The question is from a listener, how about a child who yawns a lot during exercise, uh, in, and they've got in uh, parentheses soccer, and sometimes I will see him take deep breaths during exercise. So what about that? Are those sort of common, uncommon symptoms of that? Or Classically, that, I would not, that would not make me think of asthma. Yawning's an interesting phenomenon to start with. We don't really know why we do it. There's different theories. used to be thought, you know, especially with exercise, because as we get tired, we yawn more. Um, there's now thought that it has to do with the temperature of the brain. So yawning seems huh. to be a way to cooling mechanism of the brain, which makes sense if he's exercising a lot, running and playing. So maybe. so for people who yawn more, can you say that they're a hothead? <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe. Sorry. <laughs> Poor joke. But, I, you know, the yawning and then what was the other symptom? Uh, the, the other one was heavy breathing. breathing. Yeah, heavy breathing during exercise or taking deep breaths during yeah. exercise. I, again, it wouldn't necessarily make me think of asthma in isolation now if he's having that and making a sound like he's wheezing or coughing more when he's running playing. Certainly if he feels like he's getting shorter breath sooner than some of the other kids, uh, it'd be worth evaluating. So, so I ran track a lot, uh, you know, or in a long time ago. But I also uh, yeah, have been around a lot of kids um, uh, who who run, and uh, you know, some of them will have sort of pursed lip breathing, mm-hmm. uh, just or, or loud breathing, uh, and you have to tell them, "Hey, relax, open up your mouth, and uh, get some air." But that's that's a normal thing with any kind of exercise or increased strenuous activity. Uh, you're going to open up and breathe a lot faster like that. Um, but I would say, uh, if in doubt, you know, certainly that those don't sound like asthma. And and I would ask your child, depending, I don't know what age they are, but if they're old enough, mm-hmm. you know, just to ask them, how do you feel when you run like that? Uh, I would caution you, you know, sometimes you can have asthma for it sort of creep up on you with some kids and they won't notice the difference. It'll just be their normal um, that you, uh, I can remember my oldest son playing soccer when he was four or five, scoring goals all over the place, come off the field and said he couldn't breathe. And I mm-hmm. said, well, you must be doing something right. <laughs> and then, you know, feeling his chest and I could actually feel the tactile yeah. sensation of breathing and listen to him. And sure enough, he's wheezing away. That's another interesting part of kids is how how subtle their symptoms can sometimes be and how well they yep. can tolerate things. They really are. Let's go to Donna in Meridian. Good morning, Donna. Thanks for calling this morning. Good morning. Do you have a question for us? I do. Um, since since I was a teenager, there's rarely a year that passes that I don't get what we call in Meridian the crud, which is simply lots of sinus drainage, and it inevitably settles in my chest and takes my voice. Um, I've been battling this now for, this is day 17, and I went to the doctor uh, about 10 days ago, and um, she said that she did a chest X-ray because I was barking when I coughed, and she said that I was showing the very early stages of COPD. She said definitely allergic, not like bacterial. I've never smoked. I've never breathed 
secondhand smoke, you know, with anyone I lived with. And so I, I have thought about that since then, and I have wondered, is it that I've just had this so many years that it is uh, causing this, and is there anything I can do to help, you know, slow it down, prevent it, whatever? I'm 63 now, so I've been having this kind of stuff every year for 40 years or more. Donna, is that uh, is it seasonal? Does it come and go? I usually, there's never a year that I don't get it once, and sometimes twice. Typically, once will be in uh, early winter, and then if I get it a second time, sometimes in very late winter or early spring, but it's not something that I can just time it, you know, where I know. January and February are the months that I most often get it, but this time it's November, so hard to say. Okay. So what do you think about that? Is that, uh, so, uh, you know, I'll, I'll comment about the, um, about uh, those symptoms. And, you know, chest x-rays show us some things, and they're useful to show us, you know, sort of the architecture of the lung. Uh, they're much better at, at looking at uh, uh, harder structures. And what we look mm-hmm. for, actually, in a normal chest x-ray, what you want to see is a pattern that has a lot of, uh, it's sort of hard to describe. You have to look at a lot of these in training people. But basically, mm-hmm. you see normal air in there. And then mm-hmm. you can have some. What they're most useful from a lung standpoint is if you have, you know, a collapsed lung, if you have fluid around the lung, if you right. have fluid in the lung tissue itself, a pneumonia. Those are things that, that are much uh, easier to diagnose with a chest right. X-ray, but beyond that, if you're looking at a diagnosis of say something like like bronchitis, that's a little bit harder to do just with a chest X-ray. Okay. okay. Yeah, I agree. Uh, especially COPD, there are some changes we can see on X-ray, but I would expect you to have far more symptoms more frequently if those were seen uh, on an x-ray to call it COPD. What you described initially with, you know, it starts in your head and goes to your chest, we hear all the time. And it actually makes sense because there's a one airway theory where if you're having inflammation of the upper airways, with time it'll spread to the lower. And that's why you can have that shortness of breath and cough and uh, those Mm -hmm. symptoms. Uh, uh, You know, if this is happening regularly, twice a year, uh, and it seems to be seasonal pattern, winter mostly, um, as we age, you certainly can develop asthma as an older age, too. And it sounds like you have some history of allergies. Have you ever been tested for allergies? No, not. I haven't been tested as such. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have. But my mother's people must definitely, you know, have a history of that. I have a brother and a sister who both had asthma as children. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it runs my family for sure. Certainly. So I think it would be worth evaluating for. And we don't necessarily test the first time we see you. Sometimes we'll just try controlling these things with medications first. And I've had a lot of people, especially lately as we get into the winter months, if you have a viral upper respiratory infection, you can have symptoms like asthma after that. A good proportion of patients will continue to have mm-hmm. coughing and wheezing after that. And sometimes we'll treat that like asthma, but just for a few weeks. I'll put them on an inhaled steroid, uh, even uh-huh. sometimes with a lava like Simbacort or Advil. Uh, you may have heard of those for asthma or COPD. Mm-hmm. We'll treat them for so that for a few it weeks. Would be an idea to go to a, a pulmonary specialist. This is my, you know, this is my general practitioner doctor. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I think I would talk to your general practitioner about how he or she feels about it. Whether you want to see an allergist or a pulmonary doctor, we both treat okay. asthma and yeah. COPD. Okay. Okay. Yes, ma'am. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank I appreciate you. it. Thanks for calling, Donna. 
We're talking about asthma this morning on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. You can give us a call with your questions at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You know, there's such a, a, you know, we talk about risk factors and things that cause an exacerbation of asthma. Mm. Uh, and you can have so many different overlaps. You mentioned, you know, a viral infection that it's, it acts like asthma, whether you call it that or not, you're going to treat it about the same way. Same thing we have in kids. You know, sometimes they have bronchospasm. They'll have wheezing without a diagnosis of asthma, particularly if they're younger. Yeah. Um, but what are some of the other things that might trigger uh, an asthma exacerbation? Yeah, and going back to that, there's, I think, if you look at, kids five years and younger about over 50 percent so more than half of them will have wheezing at some point in their life associated with viral illnesses and what separates that from asthma is they typically don't have that when they're well so they don't wheeze when they run and play and they're not sick uh, as far as triggers so the most common is a viral illness and that's why asthma is more frequent we see uh, more exacerbations and flares this time of year so it's yeah. little cool dry air triggers asthma um, as well and so it's also viral season so the flu and other viruses rhinovirus is those are prevalent this time of year, um, and so we see more of that. But uh, we mentioned certain smells and triggers like uh, cigarette Perfumes. smoke. Yeah. Cigarette smoke is a common one uh, that can trigger it, and there's so many chemicals in cigarette smoke mm-hmm. that can trigger those nerves and muscles of the airway. Perfumes. I, ha- I have a guy now that was doing great, and then he went to church Sunday and got around strong <laughs> perfume. It's a classic story you hear yeah. and yeah. has been coughing since then. So it, and there, there's something to it. Those so, And sometimes we'll hear people are allergic to those smells right. and perfumes and it's really not it's an irritant so it yeah. irritates the airways and causes those symptoms there and you know smoking too i uh, will ask uh, a lot of times your physician may ask you do you does anybody smoke in the family and they'll say no we don't smoke we smoke outside mm. for somebody with asthma their airways are so sensitive sensitive to that as an irritant that even the smell of it on somebody's clothing Absolutely. sometimes they can have an asthma exacerbation so that's an important to remember too and Hey, any chance that we can get uh, people excited or interested about quitting smoking, we look for that. Man, there's there's so many things that you can improve your life and your family's life if you can quit smoking and save you a lot of money because it is not cheap, as those of you who smoke know. Let's go to Angela in Jackson. Good morning, Angela. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Um, I just had a comment about recognizing some of the symptoms in children because we hear um, the word wheezing used a lot. And I had a child that was diagnosed probably at four to five with asthma, but I had never been around anyone with asthma. And she didn't wheeze. She did this little cough like a, and, you know, you hear about, well, if they have a chronic cough, well, you think a chronic cough, you think an old person where it's going to be, and she would just do this little, I guess it was try try to push the air out. And when she would talk, she would kind of run out of air at the end of the sentence. And I wasn't recognizing these things at first. So I just thought that would be something to talk about is recognizing those subtle symptoms, because I think sometimes doctors and are, you know, used to hearing those things. But as parents, we really, you know, if you've never been around it, you wouldn't recognize that as asthma symptoms. So that's just my comment. That's an excellent point, Angela. You know, we we mentioned it up front, you know, everything that wheezes is not asthma, and every patient with asthma does not wheeze. So there's certainly some other symptoms 
uh, like the chest tightness, uh, cough. Nighttime cough is one that I'll ask about. You know, does your child uh, cough? Now, not everything that, you know, not every child that coughs at night, allergic rhinitis can do that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, gastroesophageal reflux, lots of other things can cause a nighttime cough. But it's one of the symptoms, as you mentioned, that you really have to be a detective. I like asthma because you you have to ask a lot of questions to try to figure it out. Um, and either getting to the diagnosis and treating it appropriately or getting another diagnosis. I mean, that's part of the fun part about being a physician. But you're right, being sensitive as a parent to those kinds of symptoms can be important. So that's a good good point to bring up. Yeah, and, and I'd, I'd say we that's a common complaint we hear is cough, mm-hmm. is chronic cough. So we, when we see patients with chronic cough, and it is more common in adults, but it happens in kids. So the uh, the top three, which you rattled right off, are, um, so besides asthma is the allergic rhinitis, postnasal drip, mm-hmm. and which is worse also when you lay down flat, and then the uh, reflux. So those three alone in, are in, in combination make up more than 80 to 90% of cases of chronic cough. Yeah. So, so common out there, particularly if you live in a state like Mississippi. We glossed over the original numbers that I had, but, you know, basically about if you look at it, depends on which survey you're looking at, but right around 10% of Mississippi kids uh, have a diagnosis of asthma. Uh, so, you know, nationwide, the number is about 8, 8.4%. That's about a little over 6 million children uh, with asthma less than 18 years of age. And then about 18... Uh, 18.4 million adults uh, in the U.S. have asthma. That's a lot of people. Yeah. And it can cause a lot of, uh, you know, drain to the healthcare system. It's very expensive, particularly hospitalization for asthma, you know, chronic medications. It's much easier to control in an outpatient setting than waiting uh, until you have uh, big time problems. So let's go to Sarah in Madison. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. Thanks for calling this morning. Great. Um, I just had a quick question about uh, if, if genetic testing, like for alpha-1, is that something that you guys usually do? Um, I had a family member who had a, basically a carrier of alpha-1 and eventually passed away with COPD but never smoked. Uh, yes, ma'am. So alpha-1, any trypsin deficiency? So um we we do this is something we consider like the previous caller had mentioned or uh, two callers back had mentioned COPD but never smoked so anytime I hear that someone has had diagnosis of COPD or symptoms like COPD and has never been a smoker that's something that we think about is alpha one antitrypsin um, not extremely common it's not as common as I think we were taught in med school we don't see it too much but it's still something you have to be aware of so they do have chronic lung and liver uh, uh, issues and diseases. Um, Typically, we don't uh, treat that. We usually send that to the pulmonology or the lung doctors, and they uh, depend. And it, a lot of things go into it. If you're missing one or two copies of the uh, gene for the enzyme, they can replace the enzyme, but it's very expensive. And some of the studies haven't. Uh, some have shown benefit more than others. Um, but you know, if you do have uh, chronic lung diseases, uh, not usually not asthma. So asthma usually starts when you're young and has a, a different history than COPD alone. Um, but if you do have family history, it's worth thinking about and asking your doctor about alpha-1 antitrypsin. And it's it's not one of those tests that your primary doctor would do routinely. Mm-hmm. I mean, by the time that it's done, usually it's a subspecialist that you've seen, either a, a allergist or a, a pulmonary doctor. So, But a good thing to bring up, particularly if you've got that in your family history. 
thank you. Sure. Thanks for calling. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and we're talking about asthma this morning with our special guest, Dr. Stephen LeBlanc. And the number to call if you have a question is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email us at kids at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Rick in Grand Bay. Good morning, Rick. Good morning. I've been diagnosed as having allergies. I don't know what I'm not allergic to. <laughs> so long ago, it was so long ago, they had me lay on my belly and prick me mm. about a hundred times. You yes. can imagine how old that is. I but, think the uh, technique I, has actually gotten I, a little bit better for that. Is uh, that right? Yeah, I think they do now. They take a blood sample, don't they? So, we can do it that way. We still prefer skin prick testing, but yeah. usually, where we are, everyone that can do it differently, but where we are, we usually use the arms. It's usually tolerated better in the back. But uh, my thing is mostly molds and spores. Now I've got COPD because I did smoke and I worked in an industrial environment. And, I mean, I'm, I'm in last stage, two liters of oxygen, all nine yards. I thought we would have kicked y'all the butt up in the uh, with the allergy thing where I come from. It was all industrial. I mean, I lived in Buffalo. The stuff that uh, was in the sky fell to the ground, fell to the water, and killed killed the fish. So mm. I think we would we would have had a higher higher uh, number of uh, allergy people. So hey, since y'all are so high down in Jackson, Mobile, Alabama ain't no real place for a COPD person to live, is it? <laughs> if you have allergies, it's certainly not going to make your life any better. You're right about that. It's just that the humidity and the warmer climate is just uh, just right for things that like that, like mold, spores, uh, trees, a lot of plants that release that pollen at different times of the year. Uh, you're right. You've got all kinds of things that can uh, float your way, and you don't have the harder winters really to kill all that off where you have a little bit of a of a break from it. So I think that's did right. I, did I not ask my doctor to try to treat me as a, with a dual problem? I'm, repeat the question. I'm sorry. Would it would it not be would it be unreasonable for to ask my I've got, you know I'm on Medicaid so you know you got the primary mm-hmm. care deal my primary care doctor is an internal you know studying internal she's a surgeon yes sir but anyways would it not but would it be unreasonable for her to treat me as a asthmatic as well as a uh, COPD patient so. Um, so we used to think, again, we used to think asthma, COPD were two completely separate diseases or disease processes. Now it seems to be more of a spectrum. So asthma, if you have it long enough, untreated long enough, um, it can sort of appear more like COPD. Um, they're treated very similarly. Uh, we tend to use more bronchodilators in COPD and more steroids in asthma, but we use both in COPD. So it, it wouldn't change a whole lot. What it what would change is if you did have allergies and that was playing a role into some of your exacerbations, it would open you up to some other uh, newer medications we give by shot now, these so-called biologics. So that might be worth looking into if you still it have... Appears, it appears to because, you know, whenever I start getting a breathing episode, yes, I've been taking like a, making a list, a journal of what occurs mm-hmm. and it's first with the, with the Niagara Falls dripping the nose. Yeah. You know, and then it just gets worse and worse, and then all of a sudden I'm 20 feet, and my heart's racing at about 150 beats a minute, you know, so yeah, there's, so I, there's progression, you know. I think with your history, it would certainly be worth repeat testing. So if we have patients a lot, if they were tested when they were younger, if it's been more than five to ten years, we'll repeat testing. Your sensitivities can change, uh, even if you were on allergy shots in the past. Yeah, that's what my father, they told my father. I was doing the shots, and they all, mm-hmm. all I kept on doing was getting a reaction. I had to do, give me a shot of Benadryl. Mm-hmm. And I was on two shots a day, and 
back then in the 60s, it was like a 40 bucks a shot, including the doctor's office business. business. So can you imagine back then how, you know, I mean, it was expensive. Yeah, and shots but were I, done. Like I said, I was allergic to everything. I mean, yeah. Yeah, next door neighbor could mow the grass. And I'd have to hide in the house, put a rag over, rag over my face, so I'd blow up and I'd look like a Chinaman. It, it, it definitely sounds like you might benefit from seeing an allergist. And there, there's some good ones down there in Mobile and the uh, Gulfport area. But I wouldn't be unreasonable for me my doctor ask my primary care for that, right? I, I don't think that would be unreasonable at all. Okay. Thank you very much. Yes, you sir. Have a good day. Thanks for calling, Rick. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and we're talking about asthma this morning with Dr. Stephen LeBlanc. And... You know, it's it, there's so many different overlaps too, and you know, asthma can impact so many different other diseases. And uh, I mean, you got to breathe. Uh, that's that's a, right. uh, a prerequisite for a lot of other things. But certainly, allergies and how they interact with with asthma can make it worse. And sometimes treating that specifically, like you mentioned, will help out the asthma portion of it. Yeah, so uh, frequently going back to that one airway theory, so in a lot of our patients we try to gain control of the upper airway. So their mm-hmm. nasal congestion, their runny nose, their post-nasal drip, if you can improve those symptoms and get better control of that, sometimes you can prevent asthma flares. Yeah, I know. That's that's me. I don't have asthma, but man, my nose. Sometimes I just want to cut it off. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion about asthma. We'll be talking about some of the individual things we can do to prevent it and to also to treat it. Plenty of time for you to call in with your specific questions, though. You can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 We'll be right back after this break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with my special guest, Dr. Stephen LeBlanc, and we're talking about asthma this morning, all that wheezes and what doesn't wheeze. Uh, speaking of smoking, we talked about smoking cessation, and you know, if you stop smoking, it can certainly improve your health and the health of those around you. Today just so happens to be the Great American Smokeout Day, so uh, it's an annual event that encourages smokers to you know, make a plan to quit smoking, and this is the 42nd annual Great American Smokeout today. Um, and it's been about 50 years since the Surgeon General said, hey, this is a bad thing. We need to quit. It's doing a lot of damage. Cancer was really, you know, the biggest thing that uh, that was uh, that was the, the big issue then. And certainly we know about all those effects now. But it is a very addictive substance that can be extremely difficult to quit. Fortunately, though, uh, even in the last 20 years, we have a lot of newer ways to quit that are very successful. Um, we know now that about two out of every three adult smokers, if you ask them, you know, if they are interested in quitting, that uh, they they want to do that. About half of them make an attempt to quit, uh, you know, in the in the year uh, in the last year. 
but still, we have one in seven U.S. adults that currently are smoking cigarettes. So uh, there is some help for that. So if you're out there and you're one of those people listening to the show right now, there are some ways that we can, uh, uh, some resources that we can give you. Uh, one is a, a telephone line, and uh, it's it's easy to remember. It's 1-800-QUIT-NOW. That's 800-784-8669. Uh, and then there's also a website on the CDC. Uh, if you go to cdc.gov uh, backslash tips, uh, there's some tips from former smokers uh, that can uh, give you some tips about how to do that. But the phone number, again, is 800-QUIT-NOW. So if you call that, they can plug you in with a... Uh, some resources uh, either online or in actual clinics. Certainly you can talk to your physician about that, and they can help you quit. So that's for all you smokers out there. There is some resources to do that. So I, I had a uh, somebody had texted me while we were talking about a friend of mine that was interested uh, in uh, in the history of asthma. So we know that, you know, as diseases are uh, recognized and as we have newer medications, uh, they are... Um, uh, we have some older things out there. Are there any kind of older drugs that are still around that people are, might, might be on or remember using that we don't use anymore? Yeah, so um, theophylline is one uh, that has been around for a long time, around the turn of the century. And um, we still use it. Rarely do we use it, but we still use it occasionally. I've had one patient during my past year and a half of fellowship. So it's usually patients that have gone through a lot of the other medications. And have failed. Yeah. Um, and you're trying. our goal in asthma is frequently um, to keep keep them off of steroids as much as possible. We can usually control asthma if we give them enough steroids, but obviously a lot of complications come with that. Yeah. So, um, Theophylline had a lot of side effects. Uh, you know, it was toxic. You had to watch levels. Yes. Regularly, there were other medications that it would uh, interact with. So we certainly have uh, newer medications now. And if you had to pick one medication to treat asthma, what would it be? Well, it, it depends on how mild the asthma is. If I had to pick Putting one and on it's mild, I would, well, there's one by mouth called Singular that actually controls mild asthma very well. Yeah. And that's probably the one I would choose. Um, it's just very good side that's effect an, profile. That's an easy one to take. And if you think mm-hmm. about asthma, usually you think about inhalers or... Uh, that you have to take multiple times a day. Uh, Singular is a pill, and it uh, it's pretty easy. It has very few side effects, very clean medication. Right. And, um, it's uh, certainly a good thing for mild. And we like it because it has some cross-coverage in the allergies, mm-hmm. too, so it'll treat some allergies as well as asthma. But as far as uh, inhalers or asthma that's moderate to severe, uh, inhaled steroids are our go-to. And then if that doesn't do it, we'll add a, what's called a long-acting beta agonist, so sort of like albuterol, but it lasts longer. They last 12 to 24 hours. And some of those are, are standalone inhalers, and then some of them are in combination with... Mm-hmm. With uh, steroids? Yes. So um, usually ICS can be a loner in combination, and then the LABA is usually with an ICS. There's some newer data coming out now where we'll use the LABA, which is long-acting beta agonist, with another uh, medicine that kind of acts on the nerves and Mm -hmm. prevents that muscle constriction. And do you... Is the strategy to hit them hard up front or sort of step up as the symptoms, you know, depending on what their symptoms are in the classification, the more severe ones you want to hit harder up front or, or sort of step and then step down off of that? 
Yeah, so um, we definitely, depends on, again, it's individualized to the patient. We have guidelines, but they're just that. They're guidelines, and so it's patient-dependent, but we will usually be more aggressive on the front end to mm-hmm. try and prevent, again, try and prevent frequent steroid use by mouth, systemic steroids. And then we also ideally would like them not to use their albuterol you know, multiple times a day, less than two times a week is kind of our goal to get to. And so we'll, we'll at the start, kind of give them as much inhaled steroid and the combination as we can to prevent that. And then we every after about three months in general, we'll see them and try to step back if we can. So uh, some parents, when I talk about, okay, I, I think your child has asthma, I think we need to, you know, the symptoms are frequent enough and severe enough, I think we really need to consider doing an inhaled steroid. A lot of them have concerns about that because they've heard about the effects of steroids. So what's the difference in those side effects, long-term side effects, with inhaled steroids versus steroids that you give by mouth? So there's been a lot of studies looking into this. And so certainly inhaled steroids are safer than by mouth, no matter how poor your technique is. But the better your technique, the least amount of steroid that's going to get into your stomach. So when you use an inhaler, you can either get it in one of two places. It can either go into your lungs or it can go into your esophagus and stomach. And what we want is the lung. Um, And they've done different studies looking at what percentage does what and with each technique. But even with the worst of techniques, um, you're getting more of it. Uh, into your lung and 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 even if it goes all in your stomach it's uh, cleared by the liver for the most part and not absorbed systemically so um, it is much safer than systemic steroids without a doubt now over time over over a lifetime there's some cumulative risk you can still get some side effects of those steroids but as we were talking you you have to breathe and so so we we always weigh risk benefit of any medicine we ever start on a patient for any reason and so the benefit of breathing is worth the risk of the inhaled steroid absolutely let's go to susan in memphis good morning susan thanks for calling Thank you. Uh, I have a question about uh, chemically induced uh, asthma. Okay. Uh, I developed reactive airways after some chemical exposures, and now uh, I react to things like certain chemicals in certain perfumes or soaps or body lotions. Uh, what do you? Uh, how do you treat that to relieve the symptoms? Yes, ma'am. So those are treated somewhat similarly to those that are brought on by allergies. Um, we, we still use inhaled steroids. And well, if it's uh, triggered by smells or chemicals, it makes me a little more likely to reach for a different uh, inhaled medicine that we call anticholinergic, which is um, it just treats the it makes the nerves less likely to react and makes the, the airways less likely to constrict. And so um, that's a, a common uh, issue we see is people that have been exposed to chemicals or smells. And there's different, lots of different reasons that the lungs be- can become inflamed by these chemicals. Um, but still, inhaled steroids are your, still your gold standard uh, treatment. What? What's an anticholinergic? Is there a name for it besides that? The the one so the ones we use are teotropium or spiriva, um, as well as iprotropium, atrovent, and these can come in combination too. And there's a lot of newer ones that are out. Uh, the list goes on and on. But those are the probably the more common ones. And, and the spiriva is approved for asthma as well as COPD now. And certainly, okay, thank you. Sure, you know, certainly avoidance um, is a big one. I mean, if you can avoid it, and a mm-hmm. lot of people can't do that. I've had some frank discussions with a couple of patients about uh, uh, adult patients that were, you know, I'm in this job. Every time I go to go to work, I have my asthma symptoms. 
Uh, I come home within a couple of hours. I'm fine. I'm getting better. I go to work. Uh, you know, and I have to have some serious discussions. I'm sure you've had this, too, yes. with multiple people like, well, you might need to think about changing jobs. Yeah, and it's a hard discussion to have because, yeah. um, you know, people are sometimes very tied to their jobs, understandably. Sure. And so, but, yeah, if again, you have to breathe. And, right. and what we're trying to do is not just prevent the symptoms, but the long-term damage that could be occurring due to the recurrent inflammation and, mm-hmm. and changes in the lungs over time. And for for asthma, I know we said early on this is a reversible airway obstruction, but over time, if it's severe enough, you can have irreversible changes, right? Correct. And that's when it becomes COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. So, um, you know, there's there's plenty of things with um, with asthma that we can uh, that we'll talk about right after this break. Um, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about uh, asthma and kids in school and some of the things that are required and uh, that they should have in place so that they can be healthy when they go to school. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Kids and teens, welcome back. Uh, we're talking about asthma this morning with our special guest, Dr. Stephen LeBlanc, and i uh, got a couple more minutes to talk about a few things. You know, kids with asthma, you have some special challenges, like what do you do in school when they have asthma exacerbations, if they're having wheezing, uh, how do you treat them? And uh, it's it, you want to have a stepwise plan to do that. And uh, in Mississippi, at least, I know we have some listeners in other places, but uh, most states have this now. In 2014, there was a bill passed that required schools to have an asthma uh, action plan on every child, and that's a good thing. It's basically, it's just a roadmap. It's a map of what do you do uh, when that child has problems and what do you need to do to prevent those things. Um, so if if a... If you have a child with asthma or if you're an adult with asthma and you start to have some of those asthma-like symptoms, what do you do? Yeah, so for especially for kids, we, we um, do this every time we see them, usually once a year. Well, frequently the visit before they start school, we update it uh, based on their age and, and what medications they're on. So we'll have a stepwise fashion. So if they're um, – and, and there's been different – um, ways to do this. There's a green and a yellow Stop and a light. red yeah. zone. Yeah, different ways to do it. But basically, based on their symptoms, they escalate. So just starting with mild symptoms, they use their albuterol. Um, frequently, we'll tell, uh, not so much for the schools, but that'll be on their plan. But um, just when they're at home, we'll tell them to they can schedule the albuterol every four to six hours for a day or two and see if that takes care of it. Oftentimes, it might and will. Um, and then if it goes beyond that, um, uh, we have increased medication. So some some of the, and it's, this is the part that's different. Some will have an inhaled steroid that they'll either add if they're not already on it, mm-hmm. or if they're on it, they'll increase it. 
Um, and for do for older kids, do you use peak flows too for them, or not a whole lot? Or? We really don't use peak flows that much anymore. Um, there's a few patients that we have um, for various reasons. If they're not able to do the breathing test for us, so we don't know exactly what their lung function looks like, we'll do peak flows on, but not a whole lot. And same for adults, we don't use it as much as we used to. No, a lot of kids they used to use it to sort of monitor mm-hmm. how they were doing at home, particularly if they were more severe in their symptoms. But uh, symptoms can just tell you a lot. Yeah. Once you establish those with kids, you know, in pro- we talk a lot about prevention. Certainly, it's it's better to prevent something going on, and with uh, viral illnesses being one of the the major triggers, as we mentioned. Certainly, this is flu season. Flu season for Mississippi started early uh, in August. Had a lot of kids. Uh, I say kids. Uh, college students at uh, Southern Mississippi, University of Southern Mississippi that had the flu. Uh, certainly that's something that you would recommend for every asthmatic, right, uh, For to receive a flu vaccine. Absolutely. We strongly recommend uh, flu vaccines in our asthmatic patients. Um, they tend to get the flu more often, and when they get it, it tends to be more severe. And so yeah. there's good evidence that this can uh, be helpful over time. And then asthma falls into a category as well uh, of chronic diseases that um, is indicated for the pneumonia vaccine. Mm-hmm. And there's two now. And so most kids, if you've come up here recently, have gotten what's called Prevnar, which mm-hmm. helps prevents pneumonia. And then there's an, another one for older adults, Pneumovax. And so it's a complicated regimen, but we do recommend they speak to their primary doctor or allergist if they see one about uh, if they're due for that. Always better to prevent than to treat. All right, that's all the time we have for today. This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and it's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from you, our listeners. Today's show was engineered by Jay White, and our special guest was Dr. Stephen LeBlanc. wanted to thank him again for joining us today. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can join us next Thursday at 11 o'clock for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.